All right. Welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. We are going to take a very much more uh, relaxed approach today talking about technology or or lack thereof or not a need thereof with Mr. Robert Wilcox, sales engineer at you know, you I don't want to butcher this, so I'm just going to let you say where you're from. Uh, it's a little company called Nutanix. We're a little leader in hyperconverge right now. Excellent, excellent. Do you, okay, why don't we just define that in case there's actually non-nerds listening to this? Um, what, what, in your opinion, because hyperconverge can be kind of this, you know, we can think about, you know, immediately I start thinking of... Uh, I don't know, like network diagrams and uh, deep philosophies on technology, but what, I'll let you define that. <laughs> and after that, so uh, after that, I'm having you. You have to define visceral uh, along with that aside, along with this at the same time, and how the two uh, coexist. How about that? This is like test number one. Define visceral. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm only, and I'm only saying that because you, you, you yourself <laughs> used the word and bolded it in your last article. It's just so you know, I've been stalking you. So, but, but go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on the LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> it's a little bit early. I'll do my best. Um, so hyperconverged. That's where we're going to take our traditional, you know, three tier architecture planes. You've got your 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 storage plane, your compute. Sorry, your storage plane your compute plane and your network plane. And of course, we'll just say your management plane as well. And we're going to flatten that down. So instead of having, you know, a bunch of SAN and SAN controllers and boxes of disk and then, you know, multiple compute hosts and all the networking in between, because you probably use a different networking fabric between your storage environment and your your compute environment, and of course, your top rack switching and, and so on and so forth. Uh, we flatten that down to where you're basically running everything in a series of nodes, as we call them. And those nodes include the storage architecture path, the uh, data path, the hypervisor, and all the appropriate management layer to manage that system. So we effectively take things down from, you know, a rack or multiple racks worth of equipment down to, you know, a few U. And then you can scale it because it's built off of, you know, web scale architecture. So this is, you know, one thing that makes like a true HCI, like a purpose-built HCI versus something, a company that took like SAN principles and, and put it in a similar form factor, one of those differentiations is being able to scale to, you know, n number of nodes with linear progression of your performance. And that's kind of one of the things that Google and, and Amazon and, and those large, you know, hyper, um, hyperscaler, the public cloud vendors have done is, is be able to do that. Cause they don't, you know, they don't really wait for a node to die and then replace it or a disk to die to replace it. They wait for that entire rack to go out and then they wheel a rack out and they put a new one in place. And so because of that type of scale, native scale, um, they're able to get super dense and super large really fast. And that's really what hyperconverge is about is just like I perked up when you said Amazon. I I pretend I'm like I want you to pretend I'm like the um I don't know, like glazed over um (laughs) CFO and you've just said everything that you just said at the boardroom table. (laughs) I, I perked up when you said Amazon and Google and I perked up when you said something about two, two IUs because I know that I get a bill every month and I'm paying for a certain number of IUs from, I don't know, Equinix or something like that. 
Um, sure. But sure. from like a real layman standpoint, um, what does all this mean? We're we're going to scale faster, be able to do more faster for for less, or or and take up less space, or I mean, that's that's what I hear as a as a CFO. Yeah. So I mean, that's exactly right. You're going to have a much smaller physical footprint. You're going to require less power and cooling. Uh-huh. You're going to require, again, that le- that smaller rack space. Uh-huh. And then you're also going to get this this simplification of your management layer. You're going to save a lot of time and effort and have fewer management points to touch in, in the entire stack. So, you know, we really, uh, the idea of the hyper-converged through all the different hyper-converged vendors, not just Nutanix, is to um, make things easier for your team so you're enabled to power the business better instead of just, you know, spending, you know, 80% of your time, which is usually what we see mm-hmm. keeping the lights on, so to speak. Is it less points so of failure? Does that mean less points of failure also and, and faster scalability? Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. That is, that is very true. Again, you're, you're talking to a guy that stayed back in first grade um, that's in technology. So this is how we have to <laughs> This is why I, this is, uh, ironically enough, this might be why I'm successful because I can, I can speak in first grade terms, I guess that, that, and twice because I stayed back twice. Um, that was excellent. Now you, how much do we need technology? Do we overkill it? Do we overkill on technology sometimes just, and that's where I came with the visceral thing because you used, used the term visceral and and uh, to be honest with you. And I'm, I, I just pressed down the, um, what do we call this? It's the plunger, I think. I just pressed down the plunger on my French press. So I'm drinking coffee in an old-fashioned way, in a visceral way, uh, because I like the experience. Um, but what, what, do we overdo it too much, you think, on technology sometimes? Do we overcomplicate things? So, yes. Uh, I, I like to think so. It, it's it's overcomplications uh, over for the sake of simplification. And it gets to the point to where you start to, and this is outside of, I guess, of like, you know, corporate IT technology. This is just general consumer technology. Um, and it gets to the point where you're kind of, ro- exactly, you know, all the smart house stuff and all these things. I mean, they're cool. But when you sit back and think about what problem did I really solve? Was that really a problem for me in the first place? You mentioned the French press. Uh-huh. We've had various ways of making coffee automatically, you know, for, for decades, right? You've got percolators and coffee pot machines and all these wonderful Percolator. things. And then the Kruig comes along. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. You know, way back. So, you know, then you've got things like the Kruig machine and the Kruig's great. I put in a, a pod of whatever I want. I push the go button uh-huh. and there we go. Okay, I great. I know Just so I you know, I absolutely time. hate it. And the reason why I hate it is because I don't... F- I have this perception that there's not enough caffeine in it, and I really like to get high. Um, <laughs> I'm a complete straight edge person, but my and it's kind of a joke between me and my friends. I've said this before, but the uh, we're joking around, you know, because I don't drink, I don't, you know, like nothing. I drink coffee, okay, but we always joke around, like, "Hey, you want to get high?" And really, that's the code word for let's get some coffee. Um, but anyway, yeah, we'll based in coffee grounds. So um, <laughs> with me, with you know, with, again with the coffee analogy, you know, we've got this this ability now to basically create this on-demand cup of coffee, single mm-hmm. serving. So mm-hmm. was that, was that really a problem? You know, does it really take so much time to make a cup of coffee? No, hell no. However, we now have this new easy, more, you know, air quote, technologically advanced way of producing a single serving cup of coffee for the sake of convenience. What is the outcome? 
uh, subpar coffee, and an obscene amount of waste. We have single serving plastic cups that makes an obscene amount of waste. Mm -hmm. And now you see that in every home, most homes, a lot of homes, you see that in almost every office you go to, you know, as a a kind of a consultory role uh, at mechanics, I'm going to a lot of clients. Those things are everywhere. You know, Mm -hmm. back in my, you know, back before that, when I was, you know, IT manager guy, then we had them there. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it takes away from that experience of, of taking just an extra couple of minutes. You know what? I think you, you just blew me away. You know, uh, first of all, I, if I could have been the inventor of that, I'd probably, uh, I would check that off on my list, just so you know. Um, you know, like the, fir- the Keurig <laughs> or the Frigate. Like I would, I would probably accept that and then we would, we would move our company into a, you know, some kind of environmental role where now you see how people are recycling all of them and like, you know, the even... I don't know if it's the Nescafe one that has uh, the little metal cups and now they're showing how to recycle those and you can use a reusable cup and load it with your own coffee, et cetera, et cetera. That's not the point. The point is, like you said, every office has like a Keurig sitting in the corner with the little tree of the cups and you're allowed to make yourself a cup of coffee and well, some do, some don't. And it's, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. But to your point, what if you created this whole... I, I, I'm a I'm a black apron. I'm an ex I'm an ex Starbucks black apron. By the way, I'm a coffee master. I know a, a there you ton go. About, a ton about coffee, right? And I know a ton about you know a the experience. Too, yeah. I know a ton about the experience, and I can taste a cup of coffee. I can tell you what region it's from, or I can tell you if it's uh, pretty pretty good at telling you whether it's a blend or not. But you just amazed me because if I had a technology office, let's say I came into Nutanix. Maybe it's a job interview. Maybe um, we're bringing, I don't know, do you guys do uh, like data center walks or anything? I'm sure there's some sort of sales process that you, I'm not sure, I know for a fact, you guys have probably a very scientific sales process that you take people through. But um, what if we added to the whole customer experience, say while you're waiting in the waiting room, a black apron experience where someone comes out with actually like a boiling kettle of water and presses you a French press and sits down and talks with you. Yeah, maybe it's See, not coffee. No, maybe that it's that tea. is getting that is exactly what I'm talking about. That is, there's something you're going to feel. I'm going to use that visceral word. Something that is really tactile that you cannot replace with convenience. Uh-huh. You know, convenience is it will, will be an offset, but it's not going to be a replacement of that same experience. And so, you know, this morning I used my French press because it's better, and it just takes a minute. And it's kind of part of the ritual as well. You know, we're we're such a fast moving society now. Everything's showing, moving so fast. Mm. The information age is literally a blur mm. and it's speeding up. Mm. It's nice sometimes just to take a minute and do things a little bit old school, you know, because you can still do just a good of a job or better. You know, I, I, in my article, I liken it to, uh, you know, shaving with a straight razor or a DE razor or something like that, where you've got all these additional kind of products you use and it's more of a ritual and you yeah. take your time and it feels good. Yeah, yeah. Um, the same thing with, you know, all the net nannies and cars, mm-hmm. you know, all the nannies and cars now, the, the, uh, the lane keep assist and the auto braking and the, all the, the lane Jeez. warnings and stuff It removes from that, that experience of driving and kind of getting lost in your own mind and enjoying the drive and feeling the road. Mm. It's, it's, it's a catch 22. We've introduced the technology in the cars on screens uh-huh. to do all these wonderful things with new touch buttons that you got to look down away from the road. You've got to, mm-hmm. you've got things playing, you've got maps, you've got all these distractions. 
Now we've got to create these electronic aids to help you Mm. be safe with the distractions that we created. And again, you've you've created issues without solving the problem because it wasn't a problem in the first place. And the end result is now their experience is now diminished. Yeah, and and well, first of all, you've hit on so many things that hit home to me personally. One, my daughter has her driver's permit right now. Um, oh my goodness! And her her like she's going to this like the class like in Massachusetts. If you go to you know whatever it is like the driver's ed class, which is like way over the top from what I remember it to be. It was you know seven or five eight hour classes. Like she's going for like the whole day. The whole day, like during, uh, like I guess whenever it was, it was spring break or something, you know, she's going Monday through Friday for eight hours. You know, people, police officers are coming in and talking, drunk driving, people that killed their friend in an accident come in and talk, and then all the, you know, all these different things. And then she's got to do however many hours with the, with the driver's ed teacher, and then however many hours observing. And then there's a checklist with me and a spreadsheet to keep track of all the hours she drives with me. But her teacher is this kind of like edgy, a little bit kind of, you know, like Massachusetts, Northeast Massachusetts attitude was a bus driver, you know, not taking any crap from any of the kids. And uh, there's absolutely no way you're like allowed to use the backup camera or any of that stuff. You know, it's like, she's kind of- Good, those are base skills. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, because if it can handicap you, I mean, God forbid the lane assist stops working. How many times do people just swerve into a lane and uh, because they trust their lane assist, um, you know, there's, there's just going to be, that's going to be problematic at some point, but I'm, I'm sure there's so already plenty. Here's of another example. Well, there's a ton, but here's another example of inputting technology into a space that it doesn't need to exist. And, and this is something I say kind of in jest, but oh, you know, like really that. out of concern because, I'm a technologist. I have been forever and I probably will be till I, you know, not here anymore. So, you know, there's a, there's a use, there's always a place for something that, that actually is beneficial. And then there's times where it's just unnecessary. The Cadillac has a rear view mirror that is a screen. They have a camera that now uses your rear view mirror space as another screen. Why? What's wrong with the mirror? The mirror will not just automatically stop working. It will not get dirty and have a blurry image the mirror will work yet we're going to replace the mirror with a camera. I'm just waiting for him to replace so the whole windshield. Example. I'm just waiting for the whole windshield. Yeah. You know, someday we're just going to do VR goggles now. We're just going to yeah. drive in VR. Now. You, and that's, you know, that's what we're going to do. I watch this social media. I've been contemplating how to get out of social media entirely. Um, I don't think it's going to work for me. Oh my God. We all have, I don't think it's going to work because the majority of my work is done on LinkedIn. And then, but the thing is, is it's really, really, we get lost sometimes in completely wasting time. Uh, we get lost and then we get lost sometimes in doing what we, what is good, but not great. Right. We, we, we waste time doing what's good, but we really could be f- super hyper-focused on doing something great. But I listen to this social media uh, I'll have to find the link um, about the psychology, the the psychological effects of social media and how it came about to begin with. And if you think about how they were saying how social media came came about, there the, the the theory is that social media 
it came about from people that didn't have social skills that needed to mathematically make a way to um, somehow socialize and and the whole idea of like the likes and how it like you know triggers norepinephrine in your brain when someone likes a post and all this yeah stuff. it goes on and on and on it was like I, I was it was like an hour and a half lecture that I was watching on this and and how the whole way that it was engineered to begin with is not really how human socialization should be taking place yet that's it's it's been basically like eventually like 50 percent of society is going to be doing everything on social media and the other 50 percent is going to be not on social media at all and there's going to be a complete psychological difference between the two the two types of people that i need you to send me that i want to see that yeah so it's quite mind-blowing because how it's uh, how like you know like facebook and and these social media sites are engineered um it was engineered in in um, I mean, I guess the premise is that it was engineered and the premise from this psychological, from this psychologist standpoint is that it was engineered from a very kind of almost evil standpoint of how it was using human psychology to, to leverage things. Um, but you know, I'll send it to you, but eventually there's going to be, there's going to be people that are on social media and people that are not, uh, people are going to choose to not be on social media. And those people are going to have a completely different psychological, uh, makeup than the people. That- and, and- you're starting to see some of that now. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many people that I know personally that have, oh, yeah, I'm going to drop Facebook. And then they do. Sometimes they come back, but, you know, a lot of them do. Or I've got friends who just never joined up in the first place. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of like the cord cutting movement. You know, it's going to start small. It's going to get big. And then there's going to be some adjustment yeah. that kind of levels out, you know, becomes the level set. But, but even I mean, statistically, what you mentioned seems like, it, just before I forget this, statistically, he was measuring uh, like you know sub nineteen eighty five or sub you know whatever before prior to nineteen ninety, right? Um, he was measuring gotcha, yeah. uh, psych, uh, um, um, anxiety and stress and suicidal tendencies and depression in high school students, right? From like nineteen ninety before, and then and then uh, then from social media on, and it has increased something like two thirds. It's like it's like well, an, it's, it's like it's, an and drastic drastic increase, uh, you know. Dude, so I mean, the, you can think of thousands of ranges, The age ranges is a good a, a good point to hit on because you know people like ourselves that grew up you know before the nineties or the, you know before the two thousands, we have a different set of social skills and also uh, ways of seeing ourselves and, and being validated in who we are. Whereas, you know, this younger generation who grew up with these social media platforms, they don't have those same mechanisms. So if they don't get the likes, it hurts. If they don't get, you know, if they get bullied or teased or reshared in a negative fashion, yeah. it hurts. I mean, that is their, that is their hair pulling and being pushed out on the playground, right? Yeah. And, and the other thing you know, though is, have, the other thing though is the measurement of the likes. So let's say you're one of these like, kid used to guys like let's say you even have like a, i don't know 200 followers yeah and you get uh 200 likes on one one video if you get only 100 likes on the next one it's not good enough so there's an anxiety that's right in. so you can never it's never good enough so it's this constant kind of like shallow buildup i mean from from my standpoint i mean i think it's ultimately like I would definitely like to be the guy that's not ever on social media, but you know, I use LinkedIn because I like the fact that I can find, you know, uh, people like yourself and I can search. Uh, there is a, there is a benefit to the tool of being able to find uh, the right people that I want to talk with um, in, in technology. But I, if, if I sit there and I just watch so, the stream, right. And I just try to like get involved and you know, like it just becomes a, a real 
real tiring waste of time. Like I've got to use it for the database, not for the, you know, like this social aspect. Right. And, and that's a good point because, you know, each of the social platforms has a different set of tools or culture around it that, that makes it either, you know, a negative or a positive to you. So, you know, MySpace was a hodgepodge of things and it kind of got, you know, the, the whole ball rolling. Facebook comes along and becomes something that's actually pretty cool. You know, I still use it for the purpose of keeping touch with family and friends. Yeah. And every time I want to pull out of Facebook, you know, it's, well, I'm also using it for local community stuff. I'm also using it for my neighborhood. I'm also using it to, you know, Local classified says it's a little more the trustworthy. Classified ads like Facebook Marketplace is great. I can put up. I right. mean, I sold a boat last week. I sold. I mean, I put it up there. I click like within one click, it's already on Craigslist and listed on all the other little like you know things as well. So from that, yeah, there is definitely a lot of tools. I am not. Uh, um, I, I, I'm. I am in no way the guy that's not on like that has completely left um, social media altogether. I could, I guess I could just hire. Them. And then you've got, yeah, yeah, hire somebody else. Um, <laughs> then you mentioned LinkedIn. LinkedIn is, is probably the best, you know, as, as far as a professional, if you're not using LinkedIn, in my opinion, you're doing it wrong in this day and age. If you yes. come to me and I've got my IT director hat back on and we're going through the interview process, you don't have a LinkedIn. It's very hard for me to take you seriously. If you're a technologist, <laughs> why are you not using the tool provided to promote yourself and your network as a technologist? So again, I'm kind of you know flip flopping on on where my no, no, mindset man. is. I'm but, very you know, judgmental. Professional world. I am very judgmental. My professional it. world's a little different than my my personal world. And then you've got, of course, you've got your your, your really fast paced things. You've got your Twitters and, and and Instagrams and TikToks and Snapchats and all that. Where yeah. I think it even gets worse because there aren't really any rules. There, there. The, the social norm is get as much out there, get as many you know likes or follows as possible, and that is the goal. And I think that's far more toxic than some of the other more, you know, trying to be more of a community-driven social media platforms. So, you know, you go back to your Facebooks. And then we haven't even touched on, you know, the way things are curated and, you know, we'll just use Facebook again. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're targeting, you know, political ads or, or what, you know, things of that nature to you. Whatever your belief system is, it's either, it's, it's kind of amplified. So if you're super far right wing or super far left wing, you're going to get that amplified. And that is now your norm. And that's now how you see the world in a very myopic view. And that's extremely dangerous. I think one of the most dangerous things is that you can continue to go through life without ever asking, why am I here? I think you can be completely oh, absolutely. I think you can be distracted so much. Um, you know, technology even aside, I think you can be distracted so much even by the career growth path. Uh, and I only say this because I'm 43 and my dad's, uh, 84 and you know, my dad's 84, my mom's 79. And it's just interesting because I'm 43. And if I think about it, you know, like even if I went live another 20 years, okay, great. Why am I still so concerned with this kind of like facade of like you know retirement and everything? So um, it's a it's a weird it's a weird duality because I we talk a lot on this show about you know working to live not living to work um, and I think it's kind of split down in the middle. I think a lot of people would say no, I, I I live to work. Like I really want my job to be that thing that you know like I really love. And other people say no, man, I don't want to waste a lot of time at work. I, I don't want to be that guy that, you know, I'm, I'm 43 and I've been at work the whole time. 
Um, and so, I mean, th- that, that's an interesting point because now you're touching on, you're touching on the difference in, in, you know, a major generational difference because the world in which we live is now different. It, it's really difficult and it's extremely rare to, you know, be at a company for 20 or 30 years and climb the ranks and then retire and have a nice retirement, you know? the average job placement or the position for an IT person right now is two to three years. So yeah. if we're hopping every two to three years, and that's not just because of, you know, that's because of various reasons, but usually it's, you're finding new opportunities, you're finding new challenges, there's a new technology you need to embrace, whatever it is, yeah. you're hopping that market a lot. So you're not going to be at that one company until you retire. Plus our retirement age now is, is some absurd number. We're basically going to have to work until we can. And then you got that, you know, I'm going to use the air quote millennial mentality of, well, if I don't get enjoyment and enrichment from it and, and I'm not living my best life, then I, it's not worth doing. Mm. So you got to find that, that job or that, that something where, you know, at least it's, it's good enough to keep you, you know, fed, uh-huh. but also engaged enough that you're not going to burn out because, you know, if you do something for 30 years and you burn out and you got another 30 years to go, that's pretty painful. And um, so, I mean, there's a little bit of it. I think, I think everything comes with a balance. You find that right balance of, I enjoy this enough. It pays the bills. I could see myself doing this until either something better comes along or <laughs> I just keep doing it because, you know, I need to. Like, retirement is something that we're all going to strive to do, but do we ever attain it? We'll wait and see. <laughs> so, so let's bring that back in then. So, because there is like the, we might actually get to some substance in the show. Not that this is not substantial at all. This is very substantial. Um, but to talk specific about uh, IT leadership, technology, uh, engineering. Ah, here we go. Um, and the business and why someone would hop from company to company, maybe because things get stale, uh, they become the, you know, basically a cog in, in the bureaucratic machine, you know, they're keeping the systems up and running and uh, thank you very much. Here's your paycheck and that's it. Whereas I sure. think there should be much more of a, and, and you see this a lot, um, uh, MBOs manage my managing management by business objectives. You see a lot of it directors or technology people that have MBOs. So we have our general salary, we have achievements that we need to hit. And then we have other, um, business objectives and goals that if we overachieve on them, management by business objectives of I don't know sales increase or whatever it is, efficiencies increase, then you get a bonus or you get ownership in the company um, or you get moved up to more of a, I don't know, there's just more of a seat at the table uh, philosophy, sort of speak, that I think needs to change and it's not changing fast enough. And where it doesn't change fast enough, companies go out of business or become kind of stagnant or the Amazon effect rolls in and then all of a sudden, suddenly we have to, we really have to do something. Um, so I, I don't know if there's, a, if there's really a, a question there for, for me to ask you, but you know, it's that uh, kind of that leadership, that leadership within the technical space and, you know, you, you hint at it uh, through the kind of visceral technology experience, but, you know, you're, you're uh, I mean, you're an engineer. So how does an engineer, you know, how does an engineer do such a thing? Does that make sense? You know, how, are you looking so, at it from like analytic? How, how can I, how, you know, how, how can I analyze these humans and, and, and insert myself into the machine, you know, and, and make it visceral? <laughs> So that, that, that was all really good points. Um, so my background was a little bit interesting because every job position I took from my, you know, from my engineering days, even my help desk days, every next step 
was quite a major leap from the last one. I didn't like slowly climb the ladder and, you know, I went from, you know, a junior to a senior to, 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 to I, I didn't do that. I went from basically, uh, uh, a help desk guy to a consultant to a secrets farm guy to, you know, systems engineer to network engineer. So he's doing a little bit of both to mm-hmm. a consultant at a firm here in MSP. And then I got, you know, my feet wet in management and, and that kind of just took off from there. So every job was kind of a leap. And I think that gave me a pretty interesting perspective on, on different management styles because I work for different managers, um, mm-hmm. different organizations and, and organization types, but also having that techno, uh, you know, technical background. I'm not saying that every manager needs to be like super duper technical background, but it helps because to be able to liaise between the business and your technical staff can be difficult if you don't know the lingo. And it's not just I can learn some, you know, some, some terms. It's you got to understand how, how engineers think, whether they're software engineers, you know, server engineers, network engineers, all the above. Because mm-hmm. um, nowadays, you know, as you know, the lines blur. You know, we're wearing multiple hats. Uh, even at the management level, you're wearing multiple hats. Are you the network manager, the CIO, or the you know, CSO, or mm-hmm. some other security role today? It depends on what day of the week it is. So being able to have that background and see see everything from kind of a multifaceted perspective Let me will give you a pretty good idea of how to inject yourself. I, I, I think I get the informational layers. I get it, but I'm going to ask you a very. This is just going to be as straight to the point as possible. Are you happier? Sure. Are you happier being a sales engineer? Being on the sales side, when we, I, I, usually, I always joke around about like the sales engineer. I used to, we used to have all kinds of like <laughs> jokes about the sales engineer. Like the sales engineer exists to make sure that the salesperson isn't overinflating and telling ridiculous like lies, <laughs> you know, and, and overpromising ridiculous things to uh, the client. That is why the sales engineer exists. Okay. Um, but honestly, very tip of the spear, yeah. <laughs> um, but it is a—I mean, it is a sales job. It is a client-facing job. It's a customer-facing job. And my assumption would be is that you're happier as a sales engineer than you were as an IT manager. That is a very safe assumption. That's that's very true. Um, and, and this is—I I can actually build on that a little bit or explain. So I've been doing management work for. Let's, let's say 12-ish years or something. I, I lost track of time. And I learned a lot of lessons along the way. I saw a lot of technologies come, you know, come in, come out, emerge. You know, we did started with virtualization. Cloud became the next buzzword thing. Hyperconverge is the thing. You know, various next generation networking application level security platforms have come and gone. You know, there's a lot of things have, have, have come into play. You've got to manage and learn what's out there on the market and what's real and what's not. You got to kind of see through the vaporware. <laughs> while maintaining a high level oh, of standard for great. support. That's great. Um, while speaking to the business and meeting business objectives, while making sure that everything is on, you know, online and you're meeting your, your change windows while keeping security compliance in place. So what happens is in a lot of these, especially the, these kind of mid market companies uh, where you don't have the large enterprise scale, you're wearing multiple hats and those hats eventually wear you down. You get kind of exhausted because you know, you're even as a manager or a director, I was always the next level of escalation for the business. So even when I'm not on call, I'm on call. So you're kind of always at this heightened state, right? After hours, weekends, knowing what's coming up on a change window, you're always in this heightened state. 
So you have that going on. You have anything that, that fails in the, in the environment is now my fault. It's my not fault, but responsibility to resolve. Mm-hmm. And no matter how well you build your organization, your technology, because at one of my previous companies, for example, it kind of ran itself. Um, but even though you're still, you're still on the hook for that. And then there's the actual, you know, things that bring in, you know, the business, like at one of the companies I worked at, we built a gas plant up in Idaho and I had to help with, you know, bring in ghost IT because they started to do things on their own that were outside of standards, mm-hmm. correct that, and then help them with all these other, you know, challenges around networking in that site to make sure the control network secured and things. So your head's always in this space and that's not even thinking about all the administrative stuff. The infinite number of meetings that could have been done in an email. I mean, all the things that we go, ha ha, we joke about online. There's our social media. Oh, this is the office experience. No, that stuff is very, very relevant. That's true. <laughs> it's fine. I didn't bring true. it up. You know, um, I already had like kind of uh, like comments day <laughs> today. Like, you know, I exist so, because the engineers, like, so I can speak to the engineers. Uh, anyways. So, uh, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy my management experience. It just got to the point where I, I stopped and said, do I want to do this exact thing for another 30 years? Mm-hmm. Even if I moved to a different company and I started mm-hmm. over and I met their challenges do it, and then do it again and again, is this what I want to do? And so I, the answer is, I don't know. Uh, I'm good at it, but do I enjoy it? Not like I used to, because I thought I you know climbing the ladder was the important thing. And that's kind of what drives a lot of people. If I want to get to this position, up here. And I was working for that pretty hard. Now I've been on the other side of the fence on the sales, the sales engineer role. This is the most fun I've had in, I can't tell you how, how long. And, and not I just because why. the sales cycle was interesting. Let, let me guess. Because I'm an engineer again. Can I guess? Can I take a guess? A few guesses? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I think one, it's more exciting. I think number two, you're more free from that kind of hyper tense uh, state of constant responsibility with like an alarm going off or uh, I don't know, know, some kind of security issue keeping you up at night, all of that. Um, You have to somewhat confront your fears in your own um, your own kind of personality on a daily basis by talking with new people every single day. So you have to kind of, there's, every day. A, there's a certain excitement factor to that. And I think most people, when they look at sales in general, they see, they just, they don't see the picture of really working on your own personal development, your own internal personal development and, and how you talk with people and how you confront uh, your own fears in general. And uh, I think really, really, really good salespeople are obviously not salespeople. They're really genuine consultants that help people fill a need, solve a problem. So you're doing that. You're filling a need and solving a problem. But you're doing what the dream IT director role does, right? So the dream IT director is, is, is someone that's kind of given a budget and said, we need your help. Um, money's really not an issue. You know, we're not going to like, you know, you're not, you're not in a cost center here. We want you to help drive this company forward. We want you to make things more efficient. We want to connect you with, we want the end users to get the right tools in their hands to do their job right. We want, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we want a seat at the table and we want you to help us solve our problems. That's the dream IT director. role. But you get to do that every day with a different new person every single day. You get to see a different problem. And solve a different problem every day. I'm assuming that's what makes that is exactly that is that is that is nail on the head. Um, that that's probably like eighty percent of it. 
because um, I was actually here in, in, in the Houston area. I was also leading the user group. I've done countless referrals for Nutanix. I've spoken at a couple of events. Like I was already pretty comfortable with the public aspect. And, and as you can see now, I'm a pretty chatty dude. Um, so that wasn't really an issue. So I didn't really, until you bring it up, I didn't even think about that facet, but that makes so much damn sense. Um, it's a new problem to solve that, yeah, every day. I mean, it's like uh, it's like a new Lego set to put together every day. It's not the same one, right? I get to go in and and help architect something and kind of pass it along. It's fun. Um, now we have a great support at Nutanix. We have a, a great support org under us. So if something happens, you know they have that. But uh, yeah, I'm not on the hook for the the alarms. Um, yeah. But the other the other thing was being able to be an engineer again because when you have a staff of people under you and you have a training budget, guess where that money goes. I don't have the time nor the budget to spend on myself because I have people who need to do this type of work every day. They need the skills, not me. And so, you know, I'm going to do my personal development on personal time, which, you know, with that type of job and a family of five and, and all these wonderful things, you know, your time is not exactly a resource you have an abundance of. And Look, so it's called audible and in your car. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I know I that really. podcast. I try. I try to absorb whatever I can. Um, now I, I hear you, but you know, coming back over here and, and building out my home lab and, and like brushing the dust off and, mm-hmm. and the rust off and going, wow, I can still do this. I'm yeah. still actually really good at this. I can yeah. I can dive into this switch config and figure out this this weird thing that I would usually pass off to my network guy, or yeah. I take it so far and go, okay, this is I don't have time for this. I can, I can still do these things. And I think there's a, a bit of an enrichment since that was my background to go back and say, I spent, you know, a decade plus being a manager director, mm-hmm. uh, still fairly technical, but, you know, more of that high level uh, technical, you know, I, I'm, I'm uh, Look, you're not like the guy a, turning every single switch. You're a savior for so many people because there's so many entry level, college level sales reps. And I, this is my, I'm kind of like the enemy to sales because I'm, I'm on indirect, the indirect side. So I basically come and say like, why would you talk to one company at a time and talk to a, a, a sales rep that just got hired out of college that does not have the knowledge, you know, whereas I actually have like a, an agnostic kind of look at all the vendors in the marketplace. And I have access to over, you know, 70 plus sales engineers at, at any given time, right? So, but every time that there's a specific product or a specific need in place, you better believe I'm calling my insiders on the back end and saying, no, I need this guy. And it's always one or two sales engineers. No, I will. I refuse to bring in this person if you do not bring in this guy. So, I mean, you are like, I mean, honestly, it's a fun role. I, and the only reason why I'm going so off topic on this is because I've probably got a ton of IT directors out there that are going to listen to this show. Hopefully they get this far in. We've been talking for about 40 minutes now. Hopefully they get this far in. But there are a ton of IT directors out there that are unhappy. They are unhappy. They are stuck in a cost center. They are stuck in this whatever it is. They're unhappy. This is an opportunity to possibly, maybe, think you might not have ever even thought of it, might have even crossed your mind to become a sales engineer at a technology-driven com- company vendor, uh, vendor, you know, provider. And uh, I'm happy to make introductions for anybody because I know tons of companies that need sales engineers roles to be filled. And you may have never thought of it and it might be scary to you to think, wait a second, sales engineer, talk to people every day. But it's not. It's, it's actually that exciting role where you get to, um, 
you know, use your knowledge to solve problems every day. And besides, you're going to be given a product anyways. Um, you're going to be given something and you just need to learn that very, very well. Exactly. Um, so I'll give and you that opportunity. One of my options of that is... Yeah, but before we go... You can take I, that same mentality... Uh-huh. Uh, real quick. If you take that same mentality, let's say you can't leave the company you work at, uh-huh. you can still take these same principles and just try, try, to, try to change your role. Yeah. Flip it over a little bit. You know, use these same things and try to present as if you're that internal sales engineer to your company instead of going through the typical, you know, we'll say industrial, traditional type of process to get up through the ranks. Spin it with the sales process. Yes. Talk Treat to people. the same way internally. And yeah. Exactly. And we've been talking about that for a long time. Like, how do we go from you know, butt in the seat, slipping pizzas underneath the server room door, don't talk to IT, (laughs) you know, to a seat at the table. And it it starts with getting out, talking to people, asking what their problems are, translating, asking people, you know, of all of the IT department, you know, what's the, what's the single biggest frustration problem that you're having with technology in the workplace right now here at this company? And how can I help you? And, you know, sitting down with the CFO and understanding their job and how their numbers work, sitting down with the CEO and what his vision is, and then helping take technology and drive that vision forward. That's, I mean, that's the goal of kind of what this, this podcast is at the same time. But the other secondary piece is to not have technology leaders be stuck in a cost center and be absolutely miserable either. So this is like a nice little sidebar, um, you know, you know, you can always go into sales. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. But with that being said, I want to give you a few minutes just to talk about Nutanix. And this is not me plugging you guys at all. I don't, I don't even, you know, have any way of, you know, selling you guys. There's no, this is, there's no bias here, although we may talk about that after this call. But I do want to give you a chance to just talk about what you guys do well. And uh, is there any, you know, like, what's the number one problem you guys fix? If someone has a certain problem, they're looking to do something, what do you do? How do you help? Uh, so thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I love the Nutanix Kool-Aid. So here we go. Um, the, the biggest problem that we solve is, is really management simplification. You know, a lot of our clients have, you know, a small staff pulled in a lot of directions or they're using, you know, 20 different management interfaces to manage their environment. And it causes a very slow, you know, uh, update cycle through, you know, the months. And, and it just, you know, it's just the way we had to do things before. And now we want to take those that time and put it back into your team's hands so they can, they can really keep up with the business needs. Because most of the time, what are you doing? You're keeping the lights on. You're keeping update cycles just to keep the lights off. You're, yeah. you're dealing with your three to five year upgrade cycle of your, of your infrastructure gear to keep uh-huh. the lights on. So you know, yeah. the amount of time you have to put toward real business problems uh-huh. is much less. And so you've always got this backlog of projects. Yep. Nutanix takes all of those management layers and flags it down into one because we own, again, we own the data plane. We own the hypervisor. Well, we have our own. You can also roll ESX or Hyper-V. We're agnostic. Um, and, and, and kind of simplify everything you're doing and consume it like a cloud. So Nutanix is a private cloud. So if you take the same ideals that you have in an AWS or a GCP or an Azure, I'm going to log into a web-based UI. I'm going to go click a couple buttons and there's my VMs. I'm going to go click a couple more buttons. There's a Kubernetes container. I'm going to start to scale that out and run you know, containerization. I'm going to go create an object store and put my backups to it. You're going to consume these resources on a tablet, on your phone, on a laptop, at the airport, at Starbucks. We give you the same, the same capabilities in Nutanix. So we have 
our core HCI, which is our hyperconverged platform that everything's built off of. And then we put different layers on it that you can get into um, to solve those same problems. So we have a, a, a thing called Prism, which is our management UI. It's the same across the board, management UI. We have Calm, our cloud application lifecycle manager. Basically, it's your marketplace. Build your own apps, bring in apps from the marketplace, deploy them, role-based access. Very similar to what you would do with your role-based access subscription to your cloud vendors. Deploy VMs on our hypervisor. Um, we're going to give you a, a tool called Era, which is our database as a service. We have Frame, desktop as a service. So we have all these these things that kind of make, you know, go up to the top of the pyramid where you've got HCI at the bottom and, and the management UI at the top. They give you that same experience, but now it's in your it's your in your walls. You have it in whatever colo you are, you know, colos you're in probably, or remote sites, you know, because we do robo as well, or you know, your own data centers. So take those same principles, distill it down. That's what HCI or Nutanix is going to give you inside your own data center, and a lot of people like that because it's more of a predictable spend. You know, we're seeing. Um, what's your perfect board, a very um, large percentage what's your ideal customer size mm-hmm. of the company what's your ideal com- uh, customer size of company and and uh, kind of like a solution like just a like a real uh, you know real brief case study and what's your ideal so customer as far as 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 raw Wilcox or Nutanix because Nutanix is anything I would like say you fine let's say you let's use you is it a okay. is it a is it a maybe like a um I don't know manufacturing company with you know uh, locations all over the world or, I mean what is it um ideal customers you is, is is whatever your business is doing we can handle it um you know we, if we look at our customer base we we have we have labels in basically every vertical uh-huh. take a vertical we've got people we we got companies um, you know, we were very well. Let me in ask the it this way: on a daily basis, you know, on a daily basis, when you walk into clients, how big are the companies usually? You know, like how many users? Five hundred um, users? A couple thousand? I mean, what are we talking? Enterprise? Space, here, here, here in the commercial space, yeah. Here in the commercial space, just is the way that we have the, our our, our uh, account split up. Um, since I'm on the commercial team, it's it's about five hundred to a thousand. You start to go beyond that; it's usually going to be a larger enterprise. Perfect. Not always, but so mid market. What I'm seeing. Mid, mid-market IT. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. And you're going to take a lot off their plate and help uh, them stop drinking from the fire hose uh, uh, purposely. Oh, God, yes. Basis. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Um, it, I mean, it's been a pleasure. This has been a very, very fun show for me. Um, and I feel like we've, we've Absolutely. Thank you. possibly changed changed something. Uh, and I have this idea now of, you know, well, if you, if you really hate life, Become a sales engineer. <laughs> if you really hate life, go into sales and, and completely flip your entire world around of everything that you thought and every person that you might have, have hated or looked down upon. You know, I used to always say, I'm never going to be in sales. I'll never be in sales. I'll never this. I'll never marry a cheerleader. I'll never have kids. You know, now I've got eight, <laughs> I've got eight kids. I married the captain of the cheerleading team and uh, I'm in sales. So, you know, go figure. I, I mean, I believe right, that, the whole never say never. Yeah. It's, and I had a similar thing. I've had experiences where you know, you've got the sales team come in and the sales rep does their thing and it might be the same thing, you know, two or three meetings in a row. You're like, okay, dude, I need to talk to the engineer now. I, you've done your role. Thank you. <laughs> I need to talk to the engineer. Like, no, I got one more slide. No, no, no. I really need to talk to the engineer. I've heard enough about the, the Gartner magic quadrant and I've seen enough death by <laughs> yeah. PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. Yeah, right, I get like, it, right? 
I, okay. I, I've seen it. Yes, you're good. Cool. I need I need to talk to this guy about the thing that you know you're going to solve. Um, and he knows what an IP address is, please. Uh, right. Well, exactly. Hey, man. Um, it, it's been a pleasure, man. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs>